0: and Richmond Center so come by and say hello. Uh, coming up later uh, in a month or so is the Imagine No Religion conference which is happening in Kamloops, British Columbia, May 7th. That's an all-day conference featuring an impressive lineup of speakers like PZ Myers, Jen McCrite, Chris Carlo and Brian Dalton uh, hosted by the Kamloops Center for Rational Thought and CFI Okanagan. Should be a lot of fun. I encourage you all to register and make the trip to Kamloops for that.
1: Excellent. Uh, My only skeptic highlight this week is I think we might have an election. Today the budget was dropped, I think is the word they use, and uh, there's a lot of debate going on. So keep your eyes on Canadian politics. It's not usually as exciting as Americans, but this is one of the few times when you should keep your eye. And if we go into an election, that's a time when skepticism is going to become important and we go out there and... Kick political booty. Absolutely. Well, this is Ethan, your free thinking historian, saying thanks for listening. This is Don saying eyes open, minds on. So long, folks. UBC Lip Dub is coming. On Saturday, March 26, 2011, over 1,000 university students, high school students, and community members are coming together to rock out and show off their special skills, all while lip-syncing the words to Pink's Raise Your Glass and Mariana's Trench's Celebrity Status. LipDub will be filmed at UBC's Vancouver campus from 12 to 7 p.m. on March 26. To sign up, go to ubclipdub.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's going to be ridiculous.
0: Why so serious? So you we
1: Theater at UBC invites you to a giddy extravaganza of truly epic proportions their first annual fundraiser. This April Fool's Day, for one night only, enjoy an evening of roller skating, stilt soccer, fire spinning, stand-up comedy, live music, singing, dancing, and much, much more. Featuring the talents of theatre students and faculty, this event is sure to become the stuff of legend. Proceeds from the event will go towards a new scholarship in memory of Kensaku Asano. That's Theater at UBC's Fundraiser, Friday, April 1st in the Frederick Wood Theater. Showtime is 7.30 p.m. Reception and silent auction to follow. For tickets and more information, visit theater.ubc.ca <laughs>
2: listen to Wiener's Barbecue and they're not giving me a damn thing for this.
0: Thunderbird Eye here on 101.9 FM, CITR Radio, uh, currently every Tuesday for at least the next few weeks uh, from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Um, yeah, uh, that's The Luck You Got by Highstrung. It is the theme song to the television show, Shameless, uh, starring William H. Macy. Uh, amazing show. It's currently my favorite show on television. Uh, talking to our music director here, M- Luke Meat. He's a huge fan, and I've actually never watched it, and I know it came from it. It is a British version of... Um, been on BBC for like seven years now. Not He hasn't watched an episode, but not a fan of the American, uh, taking the British show turn it to the American concept. But I love this show. William H. Macy's is amazing. Um, I even named my most recent plant purchase. Uh, this little guy. I've been buying plants all week. Uh, this little guy. I named him Carl Gallagher. And if you know the show, you know what I'm talking about. All right. On the show today. Um, at 540, because a lot is now going on on campus. It's uh, just over about a month away. We are told the date I heard leak, but this is just somebody in passing, uh, not even really that much to do with the athletic department, but I have heard, I have heard April 27th is the day we're going to find out if UBC is going NCAA or not. Can't really uh, confirm too much. That's just sort of something I heard. Um, so I'll go with it. Anyways, that leaves us with just over a month uh, to follow this weird and wacky story that is seemingly never-ending on this campus in regards to sports. Um, that's when President Stephen Toop apparently is going to come down with his decision whether UBC is in fact going NCAA or not. We're going to find out in apparently just over a month, maybe uh, as early. Because he said, I heard April, so that maybe is as early as next Friday. So maybe that'll be a nice little April Fool's joke he'll do. How lame was that to say? Anyways, um, coming on to talk about that and lots of other things is from our CITR sports department, Jeff Sargent. He's going to be with us at 540. <laughs> still battling cold. I don't know if you listened last week, but I'm still battling a cold here. At 520... Um, we're gonna. Ha- I'm sorry. At 5:20, we're going backwards with the guest list here. At 5:20, we're gonna have the head coach of the UBC Thunderbird men's football team, Sean Olson. Sean Olson will be with us. And then at five o'clock, Howard Samura of the Vancouver Province. And at 4:40, Randy Nor, assistant coach for the UBC Thunderbird men's basketball team. I'm uh, gonna talk to him about next season. Maybe a little NCAA talk with Randy. And really, gotta go back uh, a couple weeks ago. National semifinal game, 74-72, a heartbreaking loss uh, to the Trinity Western Spartans. So Randy Knorr is going to be with us uh, really right after this next break. Uh, UBC and the NCAA, once again, the way it works is they will begin NCAA uh, sports most likely, I believe, in 2011-12 because they're going to be – no, 2012-13 because – There will be CIS this upcoming year, and then every sport across the board will be NCAA Division II starting 2012-13, I believe, because if you look at what happened to SFU, they went and the CIS kicked them out for the following year. I expect the same thing will happen with UBC, and every sport will be NCAA Division II except for men's volleyball, will be NCAA Division I, and both hockeys, men and women's ice hockey, which is the big deal, will be uh, men's hockey. Gotta say it will be the big deal if they do go NCAA Division Two, which because the rule is if there is no NCAA Division Two in a particular sport, you're allowed to go up to Div One. That's where both hockey and the men's volleyball comes into play. So we're really gonna try our best. Very little information <laughs> is coming out. The president has denied our interview request, but we're really gonna do our best to be as much on top, be as much on top of the story as we can. Over the next uh, month and a bit. So we'll see how it goes. Anyways, we are going to take a break. When we're back, uh, Randy Knorr, assistant coach for the UBC Thunderbird men's h- basketball team, is going to be with us. You're listening to 101.9 FM. Bond. James Bond. Got to ask yourself one question Do I feel lucky? Well,
1: do you, punk? You talking to me? you talking to me i just want to say one word to you just one word
3: yes sir are you listening yes i you? Yeah. plastics i want the truth you can't handle the truth just a sweet
2: transvestite come transsexual
0: Where else can you see Hollywood blockbusters, midnight cult classics, indie films, live music, burlesque, stand-up comedy, poetry slams, and live sporting events all at your local theatre? The Rio Theatre voted number one in East Vancouver. Your neighborhood indie theater that promotes all things cool.
1: Check out the Spike and Mike Sick and Twisted Animation Festival, March 10th through the 23rd, as well as fabulous Midnight Movies on the 4th and 18th, and Sucker Punch playing from the 24th through the 31st. For more information, go to riotheater.ca. Welcome everybody back to Thunderbird Eye
0: here on 101.9 FM. Randy, are you there? I am, buddy. Perfect. I uh, just want to make sure the equipment's working. With us on the line right now, the assistant coach of the UBC Thunderbird men's basketball team, Randy Knorr. Um, Randy, uh, how are we doing uh, a couple weeks after the tournament here?
4: Oh, uh, you know, I've survived the tournament, now I'm just dealing with some family things. I'm actually at the hospital right now with my little son. Oh, no. Yeah. just, uh, he's, just a, he's a young little guy, so when you get the cold, uh, <laughs> The doctors wanted to rush him in here, so he's been in the hospital for a couple of days. So oh. just, you know, changed my focus a little bit from yeah. hoops to, you know. Everything you know, so, Everything doing okay, though? Everything's looking good, yeah. He should get out of here hopefully another day or two. So
0: Awesome. Okay. Uh, Randy, I uh, do have to talk about basketball if you can here. Is uh, looking back, though, uh, the Trinity Western game, what happened that day, Randy?
4: You know what? It's, it's really disappointing to... to to lose a basketball game. But the thing that really, I think, is the part that's the most difficult is is it really felt like a game that we lost rather than being beat. Um, I mean, credit goes to Trinity. I thought they did a really good job um, late in the game of executing and and really hit big buckets when they needed to and got the big stop when they needed to. But I thought it was really the second and third quarter in that game that we really kind of lost the game. Um, in the second quarter, I think it's 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 really a shame that maybe we allowed um, uh, some things not to go our way that you know w- we had a little bit more control over. Then in the third quarter, it's really a shame that we came out and came out kind of flat and and really made it a ball game. I mean, lo- looking back at it, that's a game that we should have went in up 14 to 20 at halftime came out, had to deal with the first five minutes of the game, then put her on cruise control, but we didn't. Then now it's a ball game now. You know, hats off to Trinity. They they executed when it counted. Yeah,
0: Randy, is it also a point where, you know, you've been a favorite before, obviously, as a player and as a coach. Is it a point where in these big games you see it sometimes where the team that's suddenly the team that's the big underdog finds themselves in it and it's just all the pressures on the favorite. Because it's like you said, it was weird. It's not like Trinity was scoring every time down the floor. They were also missing a lot of shots. But it just, I, I worried about it going in that suddenly, you know, if it was a ball game late, it would be a point where UBC found themselves going, oh, my God, this, we could actually lose
4: this thing here, you know? You know what, I think that's 100% uh, how it kind of went. You know, we came out, we got up to that big lead, and everybody you know, all the UBC players I think and coaching staff probably had a big sigh of relief going, Ah, oh, okay, good, you know. Now once the game became close everybody started to to really take a look at themselves and oh geez, you know, we we could lose here. And, you know, I you know what I agree that with your with your comment where really Trinity had nothing to lose. I mean the pressure was really on us. Um we had beat them pretty handily the two games that we've played early on in the year. So for them, they were probably just very happy in that uh, end of the third quarter that it was a close game, and they weren't getting blown out. Where in the first half, it looked like there's a chance that they could have been embarrassed. And, uh, you know, they stuck with it, and they they did a really good job. And then, more importantly, they hit the big shots when they needed to. I mean, kudos to them. I mean, they still have to hit those shots. Uh,
0: what what was uh You guys down by two, Kyle Coston just hit the three-pointer. Um, two things, Ryan, I just want to ask you this is, costin how did he get so open? He was a hot shooter for them. And the last play, was it Alex Murphy drive and then kick it in the corner to Nate U if they collapsed on him? Or what, what was the final? How did Koston get open? And what was the last play drawn up, which turned into a broken play, Kamar Burke having to put the three up at the buzzer? Yeah, um,
4: well, the, the one that Koston got so open was we decided to, to mix it up um, and go zone, and that's why we saw Balraj into the game because we figured that they were going to go into Dirksen down low. And with the particular lineups that we had in, we didn't really have a great matchup for them. So we thought, you know, they called the timeout. They're probably thinking that we're going to come with some man pressure. Um, so we switched up, went zone, and then it was just a breakdown in our zone. Um they threw a skip pass, one of our players went for a steal, now all of a sudden we're in a rotation, and uh, everybody was recovering. We got one rotation, we got two rotations, then it was the third rotation that uh, one of our top guards didn't bump over. So, uh, you know what, I, I thought they did a good job of just playing and breaking it. Um, and then the the final was um, we were going to Alex on a high ball screen, and... Um, he kind of fumbled the basketball a little bit. Then he wasn't able to get to the to the rim. Then it was a kick out, and that's where Kamar ended up being, uh, being wide open, and he missed a pretty good look.
0: Yeah. Um, Randy, uh, you did mention to me, and it was a real telling quote to me, uh, it was actually the next night, and... You did say to me, "I go, how you doing, Randy?" And you just looked at me and saying, "This is sort of at the end of the Sunday." And you said, "We should have just won our second straight national championship." Obviously, that's how you feel. Hey, you should have won last year and this year. You had the talent. You had the team to do it.
4: Yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, what I I really believe that. Um, And to win a national championship, there's so many things have to go your way. I mean, you have to be healthy at the right time. You need to. You, you need to be playing well. Uh, I mean I thought the last two, we were playing pretty well. We were fairly healthy. I mean, this year, it, it turned out that we be- actually became very unhealthy. Um, and w- I mean, finding out later after Nationals that Josh White's foot was uh, um, either... I think it got broken during the, our first game, but um, finding out that, you know, Josh obviously wasn't healthy, but at the time... We didn't really think it was too big of a deal because he, he you know, he had the cortisone shot and it felt fine. But uh, it's really a shame, you know. I felt when we played Carlton a few years ago that we could have beat them, but we needed to play extremely well. The last two years, I mean, when we played Saskatchewan in the final, I truly believe that we could have won that game if we do a few, if we have two or three turnovers, don't go our against us or even if we have the turnovers but don't have that type of turnover. I thought we had a few turnovers that led to fast break hoops that we had no control over. Um, and what I mean by that is we had no control over getting a chance to get a stop. Um, um, and then this year, you know, I I really think that looking at the the other teams in the tournament that, you know, we we, we would have matched up pretty well with Carlton. Um But I mean, it still would have been a tough game. But I really felt like with the talent that we've had the last couple of years, we we definitely could have competed. And I mean, we've showed that. I mean, we finished second, then finished third um, this year. So it it just goes to show you just you got to be a little bit lucky. But at the same time, just getting there is is the most difficult part. But you don't have to push over. You need everything's got to go your way. You got to be mentally strong when it counts. You know, you need big key hoops. and you need you need a few guys to step up at key times.
0: Uh the the, the team though, just want to say on this game the last time uh did you guys was there something you guys were doing early in that game where you got to the 16 point lead that you stopped doing? Uh JY and Kyle were kind of commenting how it seemed you guys weren't driving to the hoop like you were before.
4: Well, I mean to be honest, I, I've watched a, I've watched ended up watching the game later that night and We just missed a lot of really good shots Um, in the stretch where we don't score in the third quarter. I think we missed three or four layups. I mean, Josh White misses an easy left-handed layup. You know, Alex had one. A couple other guys had a few that you know maybe if those go in now, maybe that puts a little bit more pressure on Trinity. All of a sudden, you know, our guys aren't looking up at the clock. All you know, there's so many little things that could have, should have, would have happened, but didn't, and uh, it's it's
2: it's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Um. On, keeping going with your team from here, Randy, uh, losing Josh White, losing Alex Murphy, your two point guards, Brent Mouse, you're losing three starters, um, your three highest scores, I believe, the second half of the season. Uh, next year, especially at the point guard position, Alex Murphy and Josh White gone. What is UBC basketball going to do about this?
4: Yeah, you know what? It's It's really an interesting time around UBC right now. I mean, Realistically, we should be fairly good. I mean, we're going to have a lot of fifth-year guys. But uh, like you like you said, part of the problem with starting Alex and Josh is we played Alex as a starting point guard, Josh as a starting two, but really Josh is a backup point guard as well. Um, and we didn't really play Jazz uh, Gill that much. Just we felt with the, the team that we had, we were a very veteran team, and so like we talked about earlier, we thought this was kind of our year. So we made a big big push, and what it in turn does is it makes it so that we're a little bit uh, shallow at that point guard position right now, or at least have someone who hasn't played a lot uh, in games. I mean, Jazz has taken obviously reps and stuff in practice, but you know what, right now it's uh, it's still a little bit up in the air. I mean, with uh, with Brent and uh, Josh leaving, um, we, uh, we kind of naturally fill those spots within, but what we don't have is we don't have uh, a, a starting point guard at this moment. So we have a few different options out there. We, I mean, we've even talked about, you know, possibly looking at a freshman because um, we really like our high school recruits that we have coming in. Um, so I mean, we have a few different options. We're actually going to have an ID camp in a couple weeks. Take a few few looks at uh, at some junior college transfer kids Um then we might have to have to do it within. I mean, we've even talked about sliding Kamar Burf over to point guard. So,
3: huh.
4: yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different options, and we just need to figure out which is going to be the best for next year's team.
0: Um, and so you talked about this point guard. It's a kid from. You got to tell us about these two players. You got one from Pitt Meadows and one from Yale, I believe. Pitt Meadows was in the BC high school. They got, I think, they won a game or something like that. Tell us about the two recruits here.
4: Yeah, so, um, we got Malcolm Williams from Pitt Meadows, um, 6'2", 6'3", good athlete, Athlete can, kind of plays a little bit like Nathan Yu, I think. Um, when I watched him in high school, he, he reminded me of Nate, where he would just be out there playing for a little bit, then all of a sudden he would score in bundles, really, really put points up on the board in a hurry. Um, watching him in the tournament, I, I have to admit I'm very, very – Please with him. I think he could be very, very. I th- my prediction is he could be the next real special player at, at UBC.
0: Malcolm, I mean, Malcolm Williams is the guy's name.
4: Yeah, I mean he, he he looked extremely good in 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 the games. Just the the pace that he played at, how calm he was, the shots he was able to hit. Um, to the point where he might be a guy that we might want to look at playing at starting at point guard, and and you know maybe looking at that as an option. Um, Nakai Lukin uh, from Yale was the starting two guard on the Yale championship two years ago. And then this past summer was on our provincial team and started at point guard. And then was the starting point guard on his Yale high school team this this year. Um, Nikai is probably the most athletic uh, player that we have coming in um, at point guard, I mean, I've seen him do some phenomenal dunks, and he really is going to give us a different type of athlete at the point guard spot. Um, the problem with Nikai is that he just hasn't played enough point guard um, at a high level yet, um, especially because of his grade eleven year, he played most of the game, or most of the games at the at the two spot. But saying that, you know, within our system, we might be able to get away with, you know, playing him at point. With some veteran two guards, so that if people are pressuring us a little bit, we could uh, relieve pressure with some other people. So, I mean, the thing about Nakai is he really has another gear and really can get by people, and he's a great athlete. We just need to work on a few, uh, a few more skill-based things.
0: So, what you're saying, though, is Randy, this Malcolm Williams from Pitt Meadows could be your starting point guard next year.
4: You know what? I mean, as of right now, as of right now, him and Nakai both could be. I mean, we really, to be honest, we really don't, we aren't sure on who it's going to be yet. I mean, probably the front runner right now would be Kamar Burke. Right. Um, it, it'll be really interesting to see come next September who that guy is going to be.
0: Uh, Randy, uh, last thing here, and thank you so much for doing this. Really do appreciate today, is uh, NCAA talk. It is obviously a big thing, and it's coming to a head here. I know it's out of everybody's hands, but. Next month, we're told that's when the decision comes down. I have heard April 27th, but I have no idea if that's true. Uh, your thoughts on it, and how has it affected recruiting this past off offseason?
4: Um, to be honest, it hasn't affected recruiting really at all. Um, I, I don't really even have a comment about it. I mean, I, to be honest, if someone would have asked me a couple of years ago, I would have thought we would have been Division Two by now. Yeah. Um, It's just been one of those ones that it's been kind of such an ongoing process that I've just kind of haven't really given it a whole lot of thought. And once they make the decision, I know that we'll have a little bit of time to adjust before it actually happens, and that'll be the time that I'll give it a little bit more focus. But for now, I'm just kind of going along as it is, and it's just a rumor until it actually happens. I mean, I've heard as early as April 1st, so...
0: Yeah, I, I, my my source isn't very good on the twenty seventh. I'm saying that right now. I just kind of yeah.
4: heard somebody say it, so that's the date I'm saying. So you know. Yeah. No. To be honest, I I don't really mind which either way that which which either way they they go. I just really hope that we make the decision quick and then just if if it's to stay CIF perfect, let's stay CIF and try to win a national championship like we've been trying to do the last couple of years. And if it's go NCAA, well then let's get out the rule book and try to figure out all their their new rules and the million rules that coaches need to figure out.
0: Yeah.
4: There there's a lot more in their in their rule book than uh yeah, I mean, either way it's exciting. I mean, if we stay CIS, I think we have a great thing going and it'd be great just to continue that. If we go NCAA, it'll be really neat as a coach to 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 learn a whole new ball game. I'll you know, yeah. have to make all new contacts and
0: Yeah. So. Randy, people have compared how SFU did in their NCAA transition to talk about how maybe you guys would do, but that's not a fair comparison because with all due respect to SFU, they did get a new coach there. and You guys have been a much more successful program. The, do you think your transition, your quality of current player, would be able to compete at a high level in the NCAA Division II? Um, well, I think,
4: that, I think the real big difference is the, the word you said before, is this program. Um I think if you give the SFU women a a few more years, I think that'll be an uh, an an easy one to see at what their transition is. The problem with when SFU went is it happened so quick that the coaches didn't really have time to prepare. Um, If you look at our current team right now, we kind of are preparing for it. Um, Well, if you can, I I just how I I, I mean that is. If you look at the age of our team, really what we have right now is we have a lot of older players, and then there's quite a gap. And some of that is in mind that if we go Division Two, you lose that middle gap. Well, yeah Randy, just, my lead.
0: yeah, Randy, just to cut you off right now, next year, uh, if you look at your roster currently at least, you'll have one fourth-year guy who would have to quit is Doug Plum, And we're not even sure if he's a fourth or a fifth-year guy right now because of a few games he played at Fraser Valley before an injury. That's what I understand. He's your only fourth-year guy, and he knew what he was getting into when he came
4: over here, right? Exactly. So, uh, to be honest, we've kind of maybe set ourselves up a little bit better. I mean, some of that maybe is, I mean, me and Kevin have definitely talked about it in a fair amount that, you know, you kind of want to avoid that third, fourth-year people because those are the people you really hurt. Um and not to say that that was I mean some of it's been with players you know leaving or us getting rid of, or it just kind of worked out that way so in in the last couple of years we've just kind of kind of went with it where in other years you might we might have wanted to try to get in some kids and to fill in that gap, but you know what the thing it' it'd be hard to compare um like you said, because s f u has I mean, had the new coach, and part of their problem was is they graduated so many guys that they didn't have any uh, layover from the year before. And I think that's key. Is you, I mean, even if your players aren't ready to play Division Two, at least if they had played the year before and maybe have some experience, you know, at least being in the program. I mean, SFU did it with a new coach, and they pretty much didn't use any of the players that played the year before and he went out and pretty much bought two or three Americans. Um, I'm not sure if that's the way that we would go about doing it. We haven't. I mean, until until it comes and we see who's eligible, who's not, I guess we really won't know. Uh, Randy,
0: uh, last question. Are you going to be back here at UBC next year?
4: Um, you know what? Me and Kev haven't, haven't chatted yet. Um, I mean, not to say that uh, one way or the other, but uh, you know what? It, it, you know um, I'd think that he would want me back so um, it just it's one of those ones I might uh, uh, have a sit down with Kevin and I meet with my family and we might might try to do something different a little bit so um, as of right now yes yeah and until I talk with Kev a little bit more that might change but uh, yeah
0: does the NCA have any thing to do with
4: what you'll do zero zero okay zero to do with what i'll
0: do so um yeah there you go just had to ask randy i don't know
4: no problem buddy you can ask me anything you
0: know that. <laughs> there you go randy going with us right now randy thank you so much for doing this and uh uh best of luck with your son there okay thanks buddy okay talk to you randy Bye. All right, uh, that was Randy Noor, assistant coach for the UBC Thunder men's basketball team. Uh, Such a highly thought of uh, coach. And, you know, just being at Halifax there with the UBC basketball team. uh, This guy is, the word is revered by just the whole basketball community out there. And he will be a head coach one day. I really don't think there's a question about that. Um, And just, you know, he's probably, no offense to everybody, but definitely the most. Uh, highly sought after UBC assistant like you you wonder if Randy knocked on a door and said I'd like to be the head coach for your team if they would just say okay Randy we'll just make it happen so he's the guy you always got to figure out what Randy's doing the following year alright we are going to take a break when we're back Howard Samura of the Vancouver Province is going to be with us he of course was covering the BC High School AAA Basketball Championship uh, I'd love to get his thoughts on the Pitt Meadows kid Malcolm Williams who will be coming here to UBC next year and, of course, we'll be talking to him about the Trinity Western-UBC <laughs> game and just the CIS Men's Nationals. Uh, Trinity Western going to the final, losing to Carlton, upsetting UBC in the semifinal. Also want to see if maybe Howard, uh, if he can tell us something, uh, if he's got a little NCAA uh, decision or something he's heard for us, because I'm getting nothing.
1: Anyways, we're going to take a break. You'll see too, 101.9 FM. <laughs> Become a friend of CITR and receive great discounts at businesses around Vancouver.
5: Your friends of CITR card will net you discounts in the Westside UBC area at Banyan Books, The Bite Kitchen, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gumdrops, Kerner's Pub, Prussian Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and West Coast Music.
1: And don't forget the UBC Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To find out more, come visit us in room 233 of the Sub on UBC Campus or visit us online at citr.ca. All
0: right, everybody, welcome back to Thunderbird Eye here on 101.9 FM, CITR Radio, Vancouver, Canada, currently every Tuesday from 4.30 to 6 p.m. With us on the line right now, um, a man who... Is it break time now, Howard? I know you covered the BC AAA High School Championship for the ladies a few weeks ago. You covered the, the boys on the weekend. We had the CIS Nationals. Does Howard Samura get to take a little seat
2: right now and take a nice deep breath? <laughs> hey, Darrell. Good to be with you. You know what? It's gone from... Uh, opening round of playoffs in the in the in the Canada West, the Canada West Final Four and CIS National Volleyball Championships in the same week in the in the Lower Mainland. Then the girls AAA Championship for four days, and then for five straight days the boys AAA Championship. So, I'm on fumes right now. I've got about a week to go, and I'm going to take some time off. But I'm so happy you called because you know what, the basketball world doesn't stop when the season's end of play, obviously. There's so much stuff going on, and, and this is when coaches do a lot of their work. I mean, they're bringing players in, and uh, I can say you've mentioned some of the UBC guys coming in. And I can tell you, you know what, for UBC to make a statement next year, there has to be a transfer-type player, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know what, as the weeks go on, we'll find out that UBC's probably got their eyes on some other more seasoned players that they want to bring into this mix for next season.
0: Yeah, uh, did you listen to Randy Norther? there? Uh, I don't know if you heard it there, Hard. I did not, no. Okay, but he did mention, because the big question for UBC next season is their point guard spot, losing Alex Murphy, losing Josh White, and what Randy said to me basically was, we went for it this year. It was this year and last year. That was like the great window with these guys and they, they didn't, they don't, because Jazz Gill, he's the young guy, didn't get very many minutes, and they didn't really have that backup point guard ready to play this year because
2: well, I, I know who their point guard is going to be next year. I don't know if Randy said it or not. Who do you
0: got there, Howard?
2: Kamar Burke is going to be their point guard that,
0: next year. That's who he says right now. Oh, yeah. he That's what he said, Kamar Burke, if, as of right now, unless they bring somebody in, he's the favorite to be the point guard in September. Your thoughts on that, Howard?
2: I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, here we've gone through the Kamar Burke ex- no I, would, I don't want to call this an experiment because he's been an official, uh, especially, you know, proficient player. Um, but I think at this point in time, the coaching staff looks at what Kamar, I sure, certainly hope I'm not repeating what Randy Buck said because I didn't hear him. But when I watch Kamar play, I mean, he's got the ability to go inside and make some nice things happen. But he does as many things, you know, away from the basket, you know, from 18 feet out that I think, suggest that he could be a point guard. And Kevin Hansen told me right before National started that there's a real good chance that, that, that they're gonna, that's going to happen. Obviously, Randy is, has verified that. But he's got a lot of point guard skills, and he brings a package that if you work it properly, you can send him into the post, and he can do things against guys that won't be able to guard him. They're going to, it's going to be switcheroo city in terms of trying to figure out a way to stop a guy like Kamar Burke who's played so much inside. He gives you a package that you're not going to find at any point guard in the country. The questions are going to be how he handles pressure, all that kind of stuff. You know, away from the basket with his ball handling skills. But I think you've got a really good starting point there. And having watched Malcolm Williams now for two years, I can tell you this kid is a player. Um, he just is going to need a little bit of seasoning, and boom, you've got your your more standard point guard type who can play at the two spot as well.
0: Yeah, um, Howard, Randy, uh, I didn't get a CNA of the B.C. High School AAA this week, but um, you, of course, were covering it. Uh, Randy, I want to ask you about this Malcolm Williams out of Pitt Meadows. Uh, they won their first game versus Dover Bay, uh, lost their next game versus uh, Terry Terry Fox. Fox. Yeah, your thoughts. Uh, Randy, very happy with the play of this Malcolm Williams. Maybe you can expand on that.
2: Well, it's just what he can do with the ball. I mean, I think you put this kid into a situation where, you know, you're setting screens for him at the top of the three-point arc. I mean, his ability to turn the corner and get into the paint uh, is exceptional. I mean, among the point guards coming out of the the B.C. high school ranks this year, he's truly one one of the best players. And I I love his explosion, his his athletic explosion with the ball. He's got a great handle on it. He can shoot it. But his ability to turn corners and play in tight traffic, um, I think, kind of makes him, you know, an especially special player. So, you know, at the level that UBC plays at, I think it's rare for a freshman to come in and just do something right away. But Malcolm Williams, I think, as time goes by, will show that he's going to be able to be a guy that steps in for a guy like Alex Murphy. And that, that is saying a lot, you know. I really do, and, and consider that uh, you know that uh, Malcolm Williams was a quarterback, uh, rather than a quarterback, one of the receivers and running backs on a on a really good AA high school football team at Pitt Meadows. He's a kid that is an af- athlete, a competitor, uh, just brings everything to the position. And early in the season, Rich Chambers, the head coach at Terry Fox, who of course has coached at UBC, has coached men and women, has coached junior national team, has done it all, called Malcolm Williams one of the two best on the ball defenders. In in BC high school boys basketball this year, mm. so you're getting the other side of the coin too, Joe. You're getting a guy who can get in your grill and play some great defense. I think UBC is getting a great player there.
0: Uh, so just so you know, Randy said that this guy has a chance, and I don't. Randy is very good; he doesn't just praise guys to build them up. When he says it, you listen. And he said this guy has the ability to be that real next special player here at UBC.
2: Well, I I, th- I think he does. Um, let's just let's just see what time does, and it's a lot of pressure. You know, in the UBC situation in particular, where, you know, I don't want to say tradition, but recent history suggests that freshmen come in and really have to bide their time. I mean, I mean, just look at Alex Murphy, and, and that's a perfect point there, and look at how good it turned out in the end. Um, you know, same with a guy like Malish, who took a few years, but once he was established, became one of the best in the country at his position, so who, who knows? I mean, this UBC team, do I think it's going to be every bit as strong as last year? I don't quite think so. You know, that's just my personal opinion. But it doesn't mean they can't win a national championship with a team they have. I think they still can. Uh, But we'll see how the freshmen do. I mean, it's not going to be easy. There's another, I don't know if Randy talked about Mitch Jacobson as well, but there's another talented kid coming in who... You know, Kevin told me he is the longest recruited player in his tenure. Basically, from the time Kevin took the job at UBC, he's been he's been recruiting Mitch Jacobson. So I think when he comes in next year, he's going to make a be one of those guys that they can set up down the road to be you know a pretty special player as well.
0: Uh, he actually didn't tell us. Uh, we were talking about the guards. Tell us about Mitch Jacobson and well, where's he from? Jacobson
2: yeah. is a six foot eight kid. Actually, Kevin's first announcement this year in terms of recruiting came quite early uh, on. It, it basically came you know in the fall. And Mitch Jacobson is a six foot eight kid. Um, in his grade 11-year averaged 25 points and 11 rebounds at Sir Winston Churchill Secondary in Calgary, playing at the top level in Calgary. The family moved over the summer to Penticton, so Mitch played his grade 12-year at Penn High. They didn't make the provincials. Um, You know, they haven't been talking about him a lot, but he's obviously a real, real uh, up-and-coming player. And when Kevin would do the Penticton basketball camps in the summer, Mitch has been there, you know, from the time he was, nine or ten years old i mean he was six foot three when he was twelve years old kevin's always kind of had a soft spot for the kid has loved his game and when i talk to kevin about mitch in the fall i mean kevin called it his longest recruiting Basically, basically known the kid for ten years and he's coming into the uh, UBC program uh... you know this this coming fall so there's some height coming in i think he looks at him as more of an international type facing the basket type guy but yet another guy that can you know work into the system here um i think the talent level at ubc early on and how well they're doing will dictate how players like mitch jacobson and malcolm williams how much they actually get to play uh early in the season
0: and uh the other guy they got our uh nikai what's his last name from yale Nakai
2: lucan yeah, yeah from yale secondary yeah um i mean he was part of a provincial championship team at yale in his grade 11 year um and was one of the starters on that team. So Yale had a, a bit of a drop-off this year. Obviously, Merrick Klassen, their MVP point guard, went south um, and played his, his first year of college ball down in the States. They didn't have quite the talent level, and they missed out, just missed out on getting to the BC Championships this year. But that's a real quality player they're bringing in as well. So um, I think I think you put Lucan and, and Malcolm Williams and Mitch Jacobs in the mix here. You've got a pretty good incoming freshman class but I still tell you there's gonna be I think there's gonna be more and we'll wait and see
0: yeah uh,
2: Howard and
0: you know you look at this UBC just from a number standpoint you have eight returning players from this year's active roster we've already mentioned the three high school recruits there could be some more coming there you had four people red shirting last year and we know Mike Lewandowski and Jeff Pippets are gonna play this year this is a team that's gonna most likely I think have some cuts in this offseason.
2: Yeah, I mean that could well be the case. I mean we'll we'll wait and see what what happens with that. I I think Lewandowski is the one you really get excited about when you think of how effective he was, and you think you know as an inside presence, you want to have some bulk, some strength down there. He's a guy that can uh, clearly give you that, and you know whether he plays behind Graham Bass, however that ends up working, I mean we'll we'll see. But you know there's some size coming, some not just size but strength as well. And Lewandowski is one of these blue collar. You know, really hard-working kids that will give you everything he has every time he's on the floor so I think he's going to be, I don't know as much about Pippis, but uh, yep. I know Lewandowski is a kid that you can really look at obviously coming from the same school as Malcolm Williams same coach, Rich Goulet uh, he brings great players into the next level uh, Chad Postumus, Howard uh,
0: pretty much the most heavily touted player to come to UBC probably since Casey Archibald can we say this is the put up shut up year? I don't want to be too rude with what I said there with Chad Post though.
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, he's gotta go out there obviously and show show that he wants to wants to play. I mean, you know, had a redshirt season this year, has got the size. I mean yeah, I mean this is a kid who's around practice every day and has been for, you know, a few seasons now. I I think he's got a pretty good idea what it's all about and, and his experience has you know, been in practice situations with teams that have gone to the nationals every year he's been there. So yeah, I mean, you think the light is is on for this year, and that uh, he'll be able to go out there and contribute. And you know, I think with him, you you've got to find ways to get him on the floor. And I think that might be a little bit of the reason. I mean, can you play as up tempo as you want? Probably not. But I think situationally, he can be incredibly valuable, just in terms of of the size he brings you on the floor. So you know, we'll we'll see how the motor's <laughs> sticking there. And you know, once they get back on the floor and. Clearly a guy that uh, I think can help them, you know, if, if, if everything in the situation is right to help them.
0: But agree that if he doesn't make a statement this year, at least if he's red-shirting again, we might not see it happen with this kid.
2: Well, is there a rule for how many years you can red-shirt? <laughs> I don't know, but like... <laughs> because <laughs> I, th- I think the time is, is, is now in terms of that. And y- y- I mean, clearly he's an enticing seven-footer. You don't want to see that guy sitting on the bench. You'd like to see him out there showing what he can do.
0: Um, Howard, uh, just back to the AAA men's championship. R.C. Palmer wins it over Vancouver College, 71-63. Your thoughts on the tournament, this R.C. Palmer team, but also uh, give me some guys who are in this tournament who are going down Div 1 south of the border this year. Guys to look out for in the future.
2: I'm trying to think if there is a Div 1 player this year. Wow, really? Uh, People are saying it's not the strongest class overall. I think next year's class, the class of 2012, you know, we'll have a number of players. And I saw a lot of nice, big players. I'm trying to remember the name of a kid from Caledonia uh, Secondary in Terrace, a big bodied kid who is in grade, I believe he's only in grade 10. I mean, coaches were going crazy seeing this kid playing. Um, he was especially uh, interesting to watch play. Um, so, you know, you, you go there, Darrell, you're there for five days and <laughs> you're watching all of this stuff happening. And all of a sudden, a kid just comes on the radar and you go, wow, where is that kid from? And I'm fearishly going through my program here to find the kid's name. His name is Kenneth Monture, a grade 11 kid, 68240 who impressed me greatly. And uh, I know there are CIS, CIS schools interested in him. I would be shocked if UBC wasn't interested in this kid. This I right. mean, he, Cap, Cap. he is showing a lot early, at an early age, and uh, clearly, you know, they're, they're very far from Vancouver, but they've got to come back next year. There's only one team in their zone. They're in, at the BCs every year, so we get a chance to see next March uh, how far Kenneth Montour uh, has matured. But he's one of the kids this week that caught my eye in terms of, you know, a big body that has some athleticism that you think could play in the CIS. The Kelowna team was, was loaded with players, but they're all grade 11s, Daryl, Braxton Bunce, 7-foot center uh, who has some size to him, and a great guard uh, named Mitch Goodwin, who's on the provincial team as a grade 10 player, uh, are two of the kids that I looked at. So as far as this graduating class goes, there weren't a ton of guys that are Division one kids that they're talking about. They'll find their place in the CIS, but I think as far as that Div. 1 stuff goes, uh, the, the year after, you're going to see a number of those kids. Uh, play at that level. Uh, so, what's the kid's name? Caledonia. He plays for Howard. He, he plays for Caledonia Secondary School yeah. in Harris. And his name is Kenneth Monture. M O N T U R E. I mean, hey. I, I, I mean, I maybe I'm wrong. But yeah. 25 years of watching kids, I, I think I can tell which kids are our CIS kids and which aren't. And that kid to me can play. And I think you know, as, if he gets. He just has to harden up the competitive level and just, you know get a little meaner out there, and I think he can be a difference maker. But if you're talking to any coaches, hey, throw the name out there, Daryl, and see what they say. I'd be surprised. I'd be very interested to hear.
0: Uh, Howard, uh, we talk NCAA, of course. The tournament's going on, which I just love. And
2: isn't it great? Hey, by the way, Daryl, yeah, my bracket, so I, and I, I got to brag when I get them right because most years I'm horrible, <laughs> but 20, twenty-seven of thirty-two right in the first round for me personally, is my all-time high, so I'm happy. Although I'm down to only eight teams left uh, in the second round, eight of the final 16. But 27-32 to 32, after the first two days, I was a very happy boy. Atta boy, Howard. Atta boy.
0: <laughs> Atta boy. Um, Howard... Uh, obviously, the big thing on this campus, athletically, now that the sports are... We have I can basic- tell
2: that impressed you, Daryl,
0: anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're amazing, Howard. You're amazing. Um, Howard, uh, obviously the NCAA talk, we're told as early as April 1st, we're going to find out. I've heard April 27th thrown out there. I mean, Howard, I'm not getting much info from anybody. My sources are just – nobody's saying anything to me. Have you heard anything? Can you enlighten us, and what do you think's going on here?
2: Well, I've heard, you know, in between there, like April the 10th-ish, around that region, um, that, that a decision is, is going to come up. I will tell you this, and this was a, maybe this was a complete false alarm, but there was a rumor going around during the Girls AAA Championship, so not this past week, but the week before that, so I guess about maybe 10 days ago, that there was actually talk that there was going to be an announcement, a press conference by UBC in the morning. And this would have been the first day of the men's final eight in Halifax that there was going to be a press conference at UBC to announce their NCAA intentions. And I just thought, you got to be kidding me. You can't announce something like that in the middle of the final eight. I mean, it impacts... You know kids that are second third year type kids I mean their futures when you only go to a four year system would be impacted by that, and clearly it turned out to be a false alarm so i i you greet the news with ah uh, could be so hey could be mid April we know i don't know
0: uh what what are you thinking, Howard? have you heard anything or
2: well I mean <sighs> If you want to know what I, the, the majority of the rumors I've heard are that they're going.
0: Yeah, me too, actually. So,
2: I mean, I mean I'm, almost, uh, I'm almost to the point where I've heard it from so many people that I, I tend to believe that they are going to go, um, that next year would be a, you know, a transition year, and that uh, you know, things would happen the year after. So, hey, I don't know. I mean, I, I, think, that's, I think that's where things are headed. You know, I really do. I, I, as you have mentioned before, if it doesn't happen this time around, it, it, it just might not happen. But uh, I think with that SFU mo- model out there and UBC people having a chance to see the competitive level that's of- out there, that it is very good quality, um, you know, that you're joining the GNAC conference, uh, you know, if it happens, I think... I, I don't think sports fans, you know, that go to watch a certain level of competition are going to be disappointed by any stretch uh, if indeed it does happen. You know, I know, I'm sure every coach at UBC has their own preference as to what they'd like to see happen. And, you you know, you, it's pretty easy to get in a comfort zone. I mean, you can't blame coaches. They know the level they're coaching at. They know the rivals. They know what, what level of competition, all that kind of stuff. But I can tell you the GNAC was pretty entertaining Uh, in terms of the level of competition this year, and we saw it especially in football and basketball. Well, yeah, Howard,
0: I will say that in regards to basketball, the one that really convinced me they should go 100% is I interviewed Brent Malish and Alex Murphy uh, with about a month to go in the season, and I said, do you think UBC should go? And they both said, I do, and the reason is, and I know you cover all these schools, Howard, but just the Canada West with the schools they're letting in is getting extremely watered down and they think UBC should go. That one caught me a little bit. So
2: It, it did, and, and it really is, I mean, in terms of its membership expanding at a pretty quick rate. And, you know, there's all this talk now, not so much of tiering, but having a, some type of a second division um, of the CIS that I think could well go into place. And, and you know, if, if stuff like that is being talked about, perhaps that is part of the reason they're thinking of leaving. I really don't know. But uh, it is becoming... I mean, I've heard people say to me, you know what they should do? They should make the entire CCAA, the Canadian Collegiate Athletics Association, just make everything CIS. You know, and that way you'd, you'd bolster your membership by a huge margin, and you'd then create two tiers. You know, so you'd have basically a Division One, Division two type situation. You know what? Athletics is growing. I don't think you're ever going to stop that, and I think programs aspire to play at the top level in this country. So if the CIS brain trust is under the you know, the mindset that they want to keep expanding, perhaps it's not UBC's environment, and perhaps it is a time to start looking to something else. Uh, and, and if they're going to look anywhere else, obviously at, in the short term at least it's the Gene Active 2, and you know you're going to get good competition there.
0: Yeah, Howard, and I know we can save this for another day, and if they do go, uh, I would love to have you on, obviously, to talk about it. Um, if UBC goes, um, does men's ice hockey, which would be Division One. Does that now become your number one sport to cover? That's my question with university sports in this city.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think if, uh, personally for me, I will. I would continue to write about basketball. I mean, it's a thing I've done for 25 years, but out of our newspaper, certainly it, it, it has huge cachet. And I think in any media outlet you talk to around town, um, it is a step up because, you know, pe- people have the perception that, you know, Division one athletics is the very best thing you can cover. And, uh, and it's not just perception. I mean, obviously, the quality, you know, of the hockey that would be played and its part on the whole talent ladder is you can't mistake where those players are headed for. Um, you know, you combine the educational component, and it's, it's a pretty huge thing. I mean, there's no question about it. And uh, my question is, how much has UBC got done in terms of, you know, getting Division One hockey as part of the package before they announce that they're going to Division Two, Because you know they won't be able to play any CIS sports. Once they say they're playing in the NCAA, they're clearly the, the CIS will cut all ties with them. We saw it with Simon Fraser. It was amazing how quickly their logo was taken off the, <laughs> off the website the second it was announced. Boom, they were gone. Um, so UBC's got to have, I think, their ducks in a row with that. And maybe, maybe that's the thing holding it up. Who knows?
0: Well, what I've heard, Howard, um, and what I've been told, actually, is with regards to the ice hockey, is Penn State is starting a hockey team in 2013 and what's going to happen is the Big Ten's going to start a hockey conference, and you're going to have openings in two of the major conferences because they're going to lose your Minnesotas, your Michigans, your Michigan State's Wisconsin. All the Big Ten teams are going to make like a seven-team conference. UBC, they plan 11-12 to be CIS, and if they do get kicked out of the CIS the following, which I expect will happen, 12-13, they would play like a hockey exhibition schedule that year most likely, and then 13-14 be in one of the major conferences. That's what I've heard.
2: Well, I mean, that makes too much sense. It just <laughs> makes too much sense, I mean, I can, I can completely see it. And I, I think, you know, you know, in terms of being a revenue-generating sport in this area with the facility they now have to house a hockey team, that hockey team could provide so much in terms of the scholarship opportunities not only for their own program but for all the programs that become Division II in terms of you look at teams that play in the GNAC, Darrow, some of them have, you know, seven or eight or nine scholarship players uh, lo- other teams have, like, three scholar- full scholarship players or money amounting to paying for three full scholarships. And Simon Fraser right now is at the low end of that scale. If you get a revenue-generating product like hockey and you can sell out your games and you can do a lot of things creatively with your marketing, you can then start to help all of your scholarship sports at your school reach a certain level of comp- of competitiveness. And then when you go out to recruit kids, you're not just offering partials, you're offering fulls, and you can bring better players in at the Division two level to make those programs competitive as well. Uh, Howard, uh,
0: NCAA for another day from now, but just want to ask you one last thing. Uh, CIS men's basketball, I know you're coming to women's AAA A Your thoughts. Uh, It was probably the hardest UBC game I've ever had a call in any sport. Uh, The CIS semifinal game. We were the only live feed, you know, that day. Which uh, was me, Kyle, watching, and Jordan, you. Uh, Your thoughts, Trinity Western upsetting UBC in what was a shocker to me. Yeah,
2: it was a shocker. I mean, you know, I mean... uh but then again, how how much of it is shocking once you get to that stage? I mean, when you get to that stage of the national championships, I mean, teams are there for a reason. Um, and perhaps it's advantageous to Trinity Western that they had played UBC, you know, already twice a season, and that there are, and people don't talk about this, but there are simmering rivalries between the players on both teams that supersede anything else if you're playing any other school in the country. And, you know what, that could play, and I'll tell you flat out I did not see the game because I was covering the girls' high school tournament, but that has to be part of the emotional makeup of a game like that. And, you know, would it happen every time they played? Probably not. But on that one day, you know, perhaps there was enough of an emotional component, you know, there that those guys wanted to beat the UBC guys enough, you know, that it actually happened. Um, And I can't say that it's a bad thing overall, you know, for uh, men's basketball to have, you know, a really competitive situation where you've got great rivalries built up. I know that's, you know, of no consolation to Kevin Hanson, who's done the most incredible job. Look at this guy's winning percentage. His coaching in the NCAA, I mean, clearly, you know, he'd be one of the, you know, more famous coaches in the country. Uh, Not that he isn't here in Canada, but, I mean, his winning percentage is just incredible. So, You know, a tough break for for Kevin and the guys there against Trinity Western. Uh, You know, you feel for them after a tough loss like that. But uh, the way Kevin has got the program going, Daryl, I know it's it's just a matter of time before it's right back, you know, to where it was.
0: But Howard, um, how devastating of a loss was that for UBC? You mentioned Trinity Western. Uh, They got the no point guard in set for next year unless Kamar Burke can deliver. And how big of a win for that? was it for Trinity Western? How devastating a loss for UBC, how big of a win for Trinity Western with everything you said, the rivalry and all that, you know?
2: Well, for Trinity Western, I mean, it it is the signature moment of their basketball program. I mean, to think that three years ago they missed the playoffs the year before Scott Allen got there, and, you know, then they went right to the national final. uh, You know, clearly you needed a signature win along the way, and beating UBC, can you get any bigger than that for them? So I think their biggest moment as a basketball program uh, and they've been in the CIS for now for you know over a decade. So uh, clearly uh, the, the biggest moment in, in the history of Trinity Western basketball, beating them because, uh, boy, they, they let the threes rain down on the next day against Carlton, and that just didn't work. But a huge win for them. For UBC, I mean, hey, it, it, I mean if you're a realist, you look at how much talent was on this team this year, uh, and it was the year, I think, to win it. I, I, like I said, I, it's not like they can't win a next year. But this was a year. If you looked at the talent, you thought this was finally the breakthrough opportunity, and it, and it didn't happen. So, uh, you know, as big a loss as they've had in, the, in Kevin Hanson's tenure, probably, yeah, I would say so. Just because they had built up to this and had played so well, you can, I don't. I think it'd be foolish to label it anything else as a huge disappointment. And I think everybody else, everybody in the program, will tell you how much of a disappointment it was not
0: to get to the national final. Uh, Howard, last question. Uh, If UBC does go NCAA, sticking with the men's basketball team, it will be their last kick at the can next year because we're both assuming, I think you're with me, that they will be kicked out of the CIS uh, following the 11-12 season. How much pressure on this UBC team looking to go to the national championship tournament for the ninth time in ten years next year? And uh, Quite frankly, if you don't get it next year, you're never getting that championship. How big of a... you know,
2: I, I, actually, Darrell, I don't think there's much pressure. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I don't think that the guys on that team are thinking if they don't win it now that that you know they're going to have some crazy footnote on their team as the last team from the CIS and, and they didn't win the national championship or get there. I, I think they just want to do what they can do next year. Um, honestly, um, I think I think they're just wired to be competitive and, and want to win every time they have a chance. And I don't think they're going to put pressure on themselves. Um, because it's the last season, I think they'll put the same amount of pressure on themselves because they want to win the championship. And straight out, that's how I feel about it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I, I think it's a team that has a chance to go again, though, clearly. I mean, there's enough talent there that they could get there again. And uh, really, you just have to get there
0: and anything can happen. Awesome. Howard Samora of the Vancouver Province. Howard, thank you so much for doing this, as always. I kept you a little long today, and I really do appreciate it. Uh,
2: no, no worries. You know, anytime. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, that was
0: Howard from of the Vancouver Province. We're going to take a quick break here on 101.9 FM. When we're back, uh, John Olson, head coach of the UBC men's football team, is going to be with us. You'll see in two, 101.9 FM. Mm-hmm. Join the UBC Film Society for their weekly movie screenings in the Sub's Norm Theatre every Wednesday to Sunday.
1: This week's screenings are... Wednesday the 23rd through Sunday the 27th, it's The Fighter at 7pm and Beautiful at 9.15pm. Wednesday the 23rd at 5pm, don't miss the Film Society's last general meeting of the year. Tickets are $2.50 for members and $5 for non-members. For more details and membership information, visit UBCFilmSociety.com.
0: See you at the movies. Okay, everybody, welcome back to 101.9 FM, CITR Radio, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, every Tuesday from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Here's my interview with Sean Olson, head coach, UBC men's football team. Season coming right now, the recruiting period, as we
3: call it.
5: It's uh, it's fast and furious. It's coming a little bit down to, uh, I guess, a slower period of time. There's a few stragglers and stuff that we're still waiting for some, from some some answers on. But uh, um, no, it's it's been uh, it's been a very busy time for us. It always is, and and obviously in a, a team that's sort of uh, retooling or rebuilding here, that uh, recruiting ends up taking on great importance.
0: Yeah, Sean, uh, two and six was your guys' record last year, and you got hired somewhat uh, mid-late in that process, uh, the end of January. So this has been your first real crack at a full recruiting season.
5: Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, and it's funny. Uh, n- night and day to to last year. Last year we were uh, scrambling to still have recruits and visits coming in at this point. And I think uh, last year I was hired on the the twenty third or something like that, of twenty fifth somewhere around there of January. And uh, this year we already had the uh, twenty one recruits committed at that point. So it was it was a uh, it was nice to be uh, uh, prepared and and uh, to be able to have our uh, you know our recruiting coordinator and and our, our UBC message and what we're building and all that kind of stuff out there for. For uh, you know the majority of the football seasons that are going around uh, going on around the country, and uh, to have people start to commit, it takes a lot of stress off uh, the planning of other components of your program. And uh, yeah, so we're it was it was nice, it was nice, and I think uh, we've seen a, a slightly higher quality of recruit mm. this year on average than possibly last year.
0: Yeah, Sean, does it almost feel like you know last season? Of course, was your full year full year two and six. But and you always see this, especially in football. You're taking over sort of somebody else's team. Does this feel more like in a way your first full full season coming up with the whole recruiting season with being able to more put your stamp on the team?
5: Well you know I think the, it always uh, it always takes a, a, a little bit of time to be able to put your stamp on it quite often you're inheriting you know not only players but a culture and a, and a number of other things and so you you end up having to to change the direction or, or the course of, of what's been happening in, in, in some instances and that's kind of what we've gone through so I mean it's starting to feel a little bit more like uh, uh, you know what you described as far as it being my team and you know we have been working hard to, to change the culture here and to have you know go from what was a bit of a minimalistic culture to uh, to one that is uh you know creating one where guys are looking to do more and to to create different opportunities to excel and and to be better at the sport and but not only at the sport but at the academics and all our aspects of their life and uh, um you know i think it's it's changing i think there's still going to be uh, um you know uh, it's gonna it's always a slower process than we'd all like uh you know and quite often these recruits that we brought in last year and this year, you don't really end up seeing the benefit uh, of some of these high school stars that are, are now transitioning to university for a year or two. And that's just the, the nature of, of the sport and the nature of uh, um, you know uh, college, college sports, but, speci- but specifically football.
0: Yeah, uh, Sean, uh, you talk about the culture that you're bringing to it, and you mentioned academics and all this other stuff. Uh, tell us about it exactly, what you're telling all these recruits, what UBC football is all about now. And does it compare to when you were here early in your career when you guys were winning Vanier Cups, or when you won a Vanier Cup? Are you taking anything from that culture, putting it in, and then what's the culture you're trying to make happen here?
5: Well, you know, one of the things that we, you know the culture is quite often determined by you know who, who steers the ship. So what's important to me, but also to the people that you bring in. You know, and one of the things that we're trying to do here is bringing a lot of people with the same sort of ideals and, and philosophies on, on how to approach things, and that's in the coaching staffs, but also with players you know we're looking for guys who are high integrity hard working um intelligent you know all those so, sort of intangibles that you can't really identify off of uh, watching a game film or being out of being at a game live or evaluating a talent set you know obviously you don't you know we don't we don't have long conversations or we don't recruit people that aren't uh, good football players as well but we've really tried to to weight those things uh in in young football players very very highly i i know i can do more with uh, someone who's intelligent than someone who's dumb uh mm-hmm. I know I can do more with someone who's willing to work hard and enjoys working hard than someone who doesn't. And uh, uh, I know that uh, someone of high character is going to... be more successful in all, aspect, all aspects of life. So, I mean, those things are really, really important to this program, and I think they need to build the foundation of everything that we do. Um, you know, so that's uh, that's uh, a little bit of what I think we had when you know when, when we won a championship. And um, you know, I think any championship team has those qualities. I think that's the one uh, um, you know constant uh, amongst teams that are great, and uh, that's why we re- we recruit it. And uh, you know, that's something that's been a focus of ours, and that's kind of a message that uh, we we uh, we send to our recruits and the people that are here and the people that we want to come in is that, you know, it's, 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 it's often awesome be a part of an army of that type of person. Pretty hard to beat an army of that type of person. And, uh, that's what we're trying to create.
0: So Sean, are you trying to use the fact that UBC is a good school? Cause you always hear it in a lot of coaches uh, that it's a disadvantage having their career. Are you trying to use that as an advantage?
5: I, I think if you're looking for the type of people I'm looking for, I think it's a huge advantage. You know, I think, uh, you know, uh, you can win, uh, you know, once or twice or have a good year every every 10 years with, with talent, right? Uh, but you can't build a great program and I think uh, it's proven over and over and over. Um, you know, I think obviously the, the admission requirements and there's a bunch of different things that, you know, make it a little bit tougher than maybe if anyone who had a pulse could get into school but uh, I don't think we'd want it any other way. I think uh, at the end of the day, you want to attract the best of the best, and that's uh, not only the guys that are the biggest and the strongest, and, uh, but guys who have, you know, the most uh, most of the qualities that I described earlier. And, and uh, I mean, we can we can get them bigger, we can get them a little faster, and we can improve those physical things. Those are changeable to a large degree, uh, but you know, they still have to have that physical base that is going to allow them to compete. But uh, the key to me and the, uh, the key to what this program I think needs to become, and which hopefully is a perennial power, and if the football has done well here, all the other aspects are in place. You know, uh, I think the facilities are getting better and there's a lot of things that are that are really great that are happening along the uh, university side of things and uh, if we if we do the football right, I think it's just a matter of time before we, we end up returning <laughs> to our, our sort of rightful spot amongst uh, the football in, in, in Canada.
0: Uh, Sean, on to the facilities. Did I hear correctly that they're actually getting rid of Thunderbird Stadium? They're turning that into a little condo project? Did I hear that correctly? Uh,
5: Thunderbird Stadium? Yeah. I hope not. Uh, (laughs) I I hadn't heard that. I think that was something that was in the plans a while ago, but uh, I I don't think it's uh, you know, it'd be be bad planning to put a a $1.5 million field into uh, Thunderbird Stadium and then turn it into a condo plex. So I don't think that's happening anytime in the near future. Okay.
0: I heard incorrectly. What do you want Uh, from me?
5: You might have. I don't know. It's not like uh, silly things have never happened. But uh, to my (laughs) knowledge, no.
0: Uh, Sean, 2-6, and six, uh, your record last year. Obviously a lot of time to look back on it. How do you assess your performance last year with the team and your team's performance
5: well, last season? Well, you know, season? I think uh, we're not happy with 2-6. and six. Uh, I'm glad you keep bringing it up, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, we weren't happy with it. It's obviously. the first
0: number you look at, Sean. Sorry, you
5: know. Like. No, for sure. No, I understand. But uh, uh, we, we definitely weren't happy with 2-6. and six, You know, and I think uh, the cry of the loser is uh, we could have easily been 5-3, uh, and three, I think. Uh, but the reality is we didn't make enough plays. We weren't talented enough. We didn't coach well enough. All those kind of things were not done at a high enough level to uh, be anything more than 2-6. And, six. and uh, that's something that we need to address. And, uh, you know, you address it in, in self-evaluation. And there's a lot of things that I will do slightly differently this year. And a lot of things that I've learned from my first year on the job and you know all that kind of stuff there's a lot of way uh, things that I've learned that you know I have to structure uh, practice and, and game day operations and how I need to approach people and how I need to you know even adjust my personality a little bit and, and uh, um, you know who I am off the field is not someone that you know is necessarily what I need to be on the field and sometimes I need, be, need to be a little harder on people and all that kind of stuff and demand more and uh, so there's a learning process there but uh, um, you know I think also there's recruiting we need to bring better players in here we we need to, you know, we need to coach them a little better. We need to we need to make more plays in, in a timely situation. So, I mean, definitely not happy. We're expecting more from this program next year. Uh, we're going to be a little younger. Uh, we're going to be a little uh, more enthusiastic and full of, uh, um, you know, piss and vinegar. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, we're going to be young. And with young comes mistakes. So we'll have to outrun some of those mistakes. But, uh, you know, like last year, we will be competitive every single week. And uh, that w- that was one thing I was quite happy about with our, with our group of guys is that uh, they didn't give Up and they were competitive every single week, and and uh, um, you know that's that's definitely a good starting spot.
0: Uh, Sean Schrumble, you did it last year. You guys did lose it to Dave Johnson and Simon Fraser. Is this something that's going to happen again this year?
5: Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, oh. It's a situation where the scheduling doesn't uh, match up very well. We uh, we talked uh, early on about uh, some possibilities with Simon Fraser, and and uh, uh, we have a bye week in October eighth, uh, and they don't. Uh, they were willing to play it after the season, um, uh, but it doesn't make any sense for us to to continue our season. Or if we're in a playoff hunt, which we expect to be in, then uh, the game would have to be canceled. So it just it doesn't it doesn't seem to work this year. Uh, It's something that we plan on exploring every single year. I think there's a huge value in it and uh, we would love to uh, get back at Simon Fraser. We kind of, that was a game, that was the one game I think this past year where our guys and our coaches really felt that we came out flat and uh, um, it took us probably a good half to be able to figure out, you know, hey that this wasn't an exhibition game, that we actually were concerned about winning the game and, and, uh, you know, unfortunately we got what we deserved. Uh,
0: So you guys tried to put it together Is it something that maybe you look at playing it at the end of August in future years, just to avoid the logistics. I,
5: I, or? I, I think it is, but one—it's one of those things that uh, um, you know—it's—it's a—it's a game that if you want to treat it as an exhibition game, uh, that's one thing. Uh, you know, it's—it's it, something that we can definitely look at every single year, and and uh, um, you know, it, there's there's nothing to say that it can't happen. It's just a matter of it's got to fit, and uh, you know, the CIS has gone to a one by week type of uh, situation, and this year uh, Simon Fraser didn't have flexibility to move their. They're scheduling around at all, and usually, uh, usually NCAA teams do have some flexibility there as far as when they're able to play certain games and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, that's that's the way it goes. Sometimes, anytime you're trying to schedule something between two two different leagues, it was the same problem that uh, happened in the past with Simon Fraser and the NAIA. It wasn't something that happened every single year just because uh, uh, there were scheduling conflicts at certain times. So I mean, that's unfortunate, and you know, I think it's a valuable game, and I think it's something that uh, our guys really look forward to. And and uh, um, you know, when I played, it was something I looked forward. To. And it's something okay. that we want to try to continue.
0: Uh, Billy Green uh, is he your quarterback going into next season?
5: Yes, uh, you know he's going into his fourth year and stuff. This is a, he was a guy that started as a freshman and, and uh, um, you know so sometimes it takes a little while for that position to get it. He's had a very good offseason to this point, uh, making good decisions, very consistent throwing the football. Um, you know he's he's obviously a weapon physically and he could be fantastic. He's just got to take that next step as far as decision making and game game management and all that kind of stuff and and we'll work hard towards that. We you know he's been coming in and watching a lot of film and and doing all the things necessary it's just a matter of uh, translating into a game situation and for him to realize that he doesn't have to uh, do something freakish or, or amazing to to win a game those things will happen he needs to do the simple things consistently and that's that's something we've been trying to drive home but yeah he's you know he's he's going to be a big part of what we're doing
0: and uh, Billy Green obviously leading your team in rushing last year by a wide margin at 596 yards. Uh, Dave Boyd getting injured earlier on in the year. Uh, running back situation as of this offseason?
5: Well, you know, I think uh, the big thing, it wasn't just Dave Boyd getting injured, but we, our backup running back, uh, well, our two backups, one guy was ineligible uh, because of a clerical issue that uh, that happened in the offseason. Another uh, Robert Charno started our first week when Dave was, was injured and blew his knee out in that game. We were, you know, by the time we were in week five, I think we, we had Two receivers that were uh, were our, our two and three running back, and and uh, we ended up getting all the way down to number six or seven. So it was it was funny because it was a position that we actually felt quite good about <laughs> in training camp, um, and then we just got sort of decimated at that spot. And so we ended up uh, um, you know having to do what we had to do to uh, to be uh, to have some kind of semblance of a running game. And uh, part of that was Billy Green, and and uh, but af- after a while, you can only smoke a mirror so much, and that was kind of a uh, you know that with uh, with the interior of our, our run defense were the two major issues and probably the two biggest reasons why we're, we weren't able to uh, have more victories than, uh, than we wanted. We uh, weren't able to run the ball and, and weren't able to stop the run as effectively as we wanted to.
0: Yeah, I mean, Sean, it's very easy to look at the stats. Uh, passing the football, you're pretty even with your opponents, at least in average yards per game, uh, interceptions the whole bit, but Running the football, you're looking at about 75 yards difference against you guys per game, right? So,
5: well, you know, especially like I mean, uh, there was there was a game, a few games stretch there where we, we were averaging over 250 yards a game. on the football, you're not going to win any games uh, when you're not able to stop the run better than that. And uh, you know, as the season went on, we got progressively worse running the football just because we, you know, in large part, we, we the injuries we couldn't overcome at some point. Um, but yeah, that's honestly at the end of at the end of the day in football, whether it's in in uh, Canada or in the states, you know, if you don't control a lot of scrimmages, you're you're going to have a tough time winning, and that's uh, been a focus as far as both in the recruiting areas, but also in, in the way we've been structuring practice and, and our spring stuff and how we've been approaching this uh, off season is do we need to get better in uh, in both of those areas?
0: Uh, Sean, you mentioned uh, going down to the states, uh, obviously a big topic on this campus, really over the next month and a <coughs> excuse me that month and just a little bit. Uh, Sean Olson, NCA Division II football uh, will be where UBC would start if you do decide to go. How much has that been a factor in recruiting this offseason? Because you basically had to tell the kids, we might be going, we're not going to find out until April, or we might not. I really don't know. How much has that been a factor in recruiting?
5: Well, it's funny, you know, when I was at Simon Fraser, I I thought that the NCAA thing would have a lot more of a draw uh, than it does, uh, um, you know, so uh, we've actually uh, found it that uh, it hasn't been holding a lot of water Um, and so, I mean, we haven't been necessarily hiding it or anything like that, but there's been nothing to tell, to some degree, you know, so it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I could say, hey, I don't know this, this and this and this and that, and I'm not sure about that, but at the end of the day, I said, hey, this is a conversation that's happening, Um, you know, this is what the plan are in, are, are in if we did go, um, you know, and, and other than that, there's not a whole lot to be talked about, and that's one of the things we keep telling to uh, our current players is is that uh, it's a situation that, hey, don't worry about things that are out of your control. There's a plan in place, and, and if it does happen, you'll be the first to know, and if it doesn't happen, then, you know, uh, then all that thought is, is, uh, is kind of wasted thought. So, I mean, uh, um, you know, it, it hasn't affected things a ton, I think, most of the people that we're recruiting to uh, to, to UBC is is uh, uh, are coming because of uh, location, uh, program, whether. American or NCAA or CIS and and education. And and like I said, if we're focusing on the main things that we talked about as far as integrity and work ethic and and intelligence, I mean, those kind of people can function in any one and are not concerned necessarily with with the league that you're in, so to speak. But uh, it's funny that it hasn't had as much traction as I thought it would Hmm. when I was over at Simon Fraser, the NCAA thing, and I think people are realizing that, you know, it's, uh, it's not div one.
0: Yeah, is it also too Sean? Um, really, more than any other sport here on campus, there's the CFL. Uh, a lot of players get drafted. Obviously, a lot of guys you played with here at UBC go on to CFL careers. And if you are going NCAA Division two, does that happen as much? Maybe it happens the same, but there is a pro league that you can be drafted into out of this. CIS League? Does, do you think that plays into players' minds at
5: all? Well, I think I think the, uh, more so than that because I mean, football is football, and, and whether you come from the states or in Canada, I mean, you'll you'll find a way if you're good to to make it to whatever you know pro level you're talking about. I think the big thing is that the the quality and the uh, notoriety and the publicity of the CIS is. Gotten so much better in the last ten years, you know that that the uh, the football experience is is very very good uh, in in Canada, much better than I think you would have uh, south of the border. Anything short of of you know, uh, Division One, just because uh, you know people actually care about playing University of Regina or, or all these other places, not, you know, some of the smaller schools that nobody knows about. There's a chance for a national championship. They're, they do things uh, first class. You know, we fly to every single game. There's a bunch of real positive things that have been associated with with uh, um, you know uh, Canadian football. And I think, you know, the Olympics has a, had, had a lot to do with it as well. I think there's, you know, some some national pride, uh, which I think is great for Canada and uh, great for our sport. So, you know, I think there's a lot of levels that it, that it works on uh, there, you know, and and, you know, that being said, you know, there's nothing wrong with uh, playing the NCAA. I actually quite like the four-down version of the game, and I enjoy coaching it a little bit better. But, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, I think at the end of the day, there, it's more a testament to uh, the the better job that is being done in Canada with football than, than anything else.
0: Yeah, um, and, but it is one thing. If you do go NCAA Division Two, you do get that shrumble regular season rivalry back. Uh, with Dave Johnson and the Klan. That is, that is something that would occur.
5: It, it is, it is. But you know, I think when the strumble was at its worst, or worst was when it uh, was a part of a regular season uh, game, to be honest with you. I, th- I think it lost its its... Meaning, uh, I remember when it was sort of that uh, Canada versus States when I was playing. That was always a big, sort of exciting time. You got a chance to play different rules sometimes. You, you know, it was it was a measuring stick to some degree, right? Uh, when I, I know when I was coaching at Simon Fraser and Shumble was one of our two games versus UBC. It always seemed a little bit like, okay, well, it's just kind of another league game, right? Type of thing. Um, you know, that might have been just in my head. So you know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I really don't know how much of a impact a one game or one opponent should play in a decision like this but you know obviously any chance you get to play a crosstown rival yeah. I think that's an exciting thing but um, you know like I said it, 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 there's nothing there's no we'll be able to play the shumble again hopefully uh, the following year when schedules align and when we can try to maybe talk about it earlier Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, and, and Sean last thing on it as a coach right now and this is sort of what I'm hearing from people uh, do you just want to have this NCA thing because, you know, it's going to be a big deal for you if it does happen. Do you just want this to either happen or not already and then you can just move on with your program?
5: Well, I think that's huge, yeah. I think we need to uh, have some closure on it. I think there's been, uh, you know, at this point, everyone's talking about what might happen, all that kind of stuff. Nobody knows uh, the president's going to decide and and uh, we'll kind of have to live with whatever that decision is and I think we're going to be fine no matter what that decision is. It's just going to be a, a matter of which direction. But, yeah, we just would like to know and, and. Uh, you know the, uh, you know the, the one thing. It's not. It's not a. Every sport has a different view of it, and every sport will be affected differently. Um, you know, and I think for the the big picture is what's best for the university and not just the uh, the athletics, you know, and that's, uh, that's one of the things that I think is really going to be at the heart of the decision is what is best for UBC as an institution, um, and you know, we've been great the way we have, uh, you know, paint. in the situation that we've been to this date, and uh, I, I have no doubt that we'll be great uh, if we end up going down to the NCAA, so I'm just looking forward to knowing. <laughs> Getting that all over with, eh? Yeah, for sure.
0: Awesome. Sean also with us. Sean, thanks so much for doing this today. And uh, I, I believe you're about to go on a little recruiting visit right now, so best of luck with that.
5: Thank you very much. Thanks,
0: <laughs> Earl. Okay, thanks, Sean. Bye. Okay, thanks, Sean.
5: Okay, man. Okay, talk, talk to you
0: soon. <laughs> okay, everybody. Welcome back to Thunderbird Eye here on 101.9 FM. Uh, with us on the line right now to finish off the show, 10 minutes, Mike with Flex your head. We'll be on uh, Jeff Sergeant, Jeff, I, I have to say something about... Um, how do I queue up something on the computer while I'm playing something on the computer?
3: You, you can't.
0: You can't, okay. No. So that's what I was trying to do with you the. Yeah, uh, I could tell. You, <laughs> you saw that, hey? It sounded interesting. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> don't do that again, yeah. hey? Uh, you know, I had the cue button on at one point. That wasn't working. You can't. You can't.
3: Oh, that was. Uh, too bad. You have I to get it ready before. I should have. Ah, prep. Yeah.
0: Uh, with us on the line right now uh, are Jeffrey Sargent from our CATI Sports Department. In uh, about 10 minutes, Michael Flexerhead is going to be on the air. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you heard the end of the Sean Olson interview there talking about the NCAA. And it's really interesting doing this show today. Um, Randy Knorr... Uh, I heard from one person in Halifax that April 27th might be the date. Howard Samura of the Vancouver province told me April 10th might be the date we find out. Randy Norris said we could find out as early as April 1st. <laughs> I, I love how this is like the problem with this story. It, like the men's football was fun talking about it, all that stuff. The football coach of Sean Olsen. But this one. Nobody's saying anything, and nobody knows what the hell's going on. That That's kind of what it seems like, because it's, it's in the president's office. And athletics, they can't know, because that's what I'm being told at least. And we're just kind of waiting for President Toop. So, quite frankly, Jeff, if you're going to follow the story, just, you know, let all your thoughts fly. Just find some horrible source. Talk about it, because we're not getting any good sources on this one, Jeff. No. Well, I don't know about a horrible story. No, I'm just saying, <laughs> find a drunk guy, ask him. Well, y- he, that's pretty- as much as you're going to get from anybody, <laughs> you know. Like, well,
3: well, you can understand why the why uh, the president's office wouldn't want to yeah. say anything. I mean, as, as soon as it, the word uh, one way or the other gets into athletics, I mean, it'll be all over the place. Um, so there's no way to keep this sort of thing quiet. The only way to do it is to not tell anybody anything. So, uh, but yeah, this is interesting. I guess some because we had heard before it was. This, didn't know. a few months ago we knew it was going to be April? Yeah. Now, and I guess that still holds true because we have, still have no idea when in April. We've
0: got April 27th from an unreliable source. April 1st, perhaps, Randy Norris says he's heard it might be. And Howard Samura's heard from somebody April 10th. So I guess we go with Howard, I, I think. Yeah.
3: Okay. Go with Howard. Anyway, Always a good choice.
0: Uh, Jeff, this is coming down to the wire, though. Yeah. Um, it's like watching a horse race, but you can't even, like, watch the race. That makes sense.
3: Well, I mean, it's... like uh, the,
0: you, you know that there's going to be a finish. You're going to find out what the finish is, but... We have no
3: idea how it's lining up.
0: <laughs> no, there's no game or there's no nothing. You're just going to be told who <laughs> the winner is. Um, thoughts, Jeff? It's finally coming to a head, though, it looks like, uh, in the last month. And, you know, your thoughts on this so close to the decision being made.
3: Well, I, I'm glad we're finally going to have a decision one way or the other. And I, I did hear uh, what Sean Olson had to say, and... I completely agree uh, with him, and it's like, you know, just just tell us. You know, we just want to know so we can make plans, because this is the thing. I mean, um, you know, assuming there's still one more year left of of CIS play, I mean, even so, there's still not a lot of time. I mean, it would be just over a year for many sports to start preparing and start recruiting and lots of changes to come. Uh, So I think, you know, the sooner everyone knows, the better. So this will be very good. Uh, It is, you know, it's very, it's exciting. Uh, No matter what side of the fence you're on this issue, it is exciting. And and it's a little nerve-wracking because, like you say, we have no idea what's going to happen. We have no idea when it's going to happen. So, you know, I, I think everyone's just kind of waiting on tenterhooks here. We're not really sure what to expect. Uh, I know I have seen uh, some other media suggest uh, it is it's it's most likely going to be a move to NCAA. Expand um, on
0: that. Expand on that.
3: Well, I mean, this is what what seems to be the the rumor mill, of course. And again, there's there's not a heck of a lot of substance because everything is kept very quiet. But it seems uh, that the chatter out there, anyhow, from what I've heard, seems to be. Uh, more in definitely in favor of going to NCAA. I, I haven't been hearing anything saying that it's going to be status quo. So whether or not this means anything, I have no idea. But, <laughs> but I, I have, what I can say is I haven't heard anyone saying, yeah, we're, they're probably going to stay CIS.
0: Right, but it is time, considering you're getting no information, to just go, I think, with wild accusations and stories, but just leading into it that I have no idea, here's some bullcrap that I've heard.
3: Well, <laughs> yeah. that's all we got, <laughs> Jeff. There's nothing. The, there is nothing to go on. It's yeah. true. I mean, uh, everyone's going to be pretty quiet. I mean, we have to get a, a bug in the president's office yeah. or something I'm, to figure I'm it out. you, but.
0: we can get as much information from just finding some drunk guy at a bar who has no idea
3: about the topic <laughs> as we can from talking to anybody on this issue. Flip a coin, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, though. What what Sean was saying, how you know he says. You know, we just want to know, and he he doesn't have any qualms about. Well, obviously, you know, he, he's confident in their ability to be competitive, but uh, you know, he just he just wants to know either way. And I think probably most most of the coaching staff would would fall in that category. Just just we just want to know, right? Yeah,
0: I, I think the problem with talking to all these coaches, and they a lot of them have talked about with me, you know, you don't want to be against the CIS, and this has been the whole thing with talking to athletics, too. You don't want to be against CIS because if you stay, you've just insulted your league. And you don't want to be against the NCA because that could be where you are in a year and a bit. Yeah. So you're not getting great answers really from anybody,
3: you know. Maybe so maybe we should just stop talking about it.
0: No, <laughs> never. This yeah. is this is the topic. Um, Jeff, my question though is, if they go, and we had Howard Samura of the Vancouver Province on earlier, and he said men's hockey would be a huge deal. Um, in this city. He thinks it would be the money driver for UBC Athletics. Um, I believe Athletics believes the same thing. If men's hockey succeeds, because they'll be dib one right away, um, does that start a domino across the country?
3: Uh, Of other schools following suit, you mean? Yeah. Um, I think it it certainly would. I think we certainly would see other schools take a real hard look at it. The bigger schools... um, Probably back east, uh, but would be interesting is would schools like Calgary or, or Alberta especially consider this? Um, you know, those are two schools which are, are fairly big as well. Alberta especially comparable in size almost to UBC and, and obviously a great long-standing hockey program there. I think it really would because, like you said, it, it, I, I agree with Howard completely. It will be a huge driver. I think you'll see big attendance for the games. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of media focus on the games. Um, you know, I, I think the Vancouver Giants and Chilliwack Bruins won't be too happy about it because, you know, they're going to be competing for attention there a little bit in the same sort of uh, market uh, for in terms of people who will be, you know, wanting to shell out dollars to see this kind of thing. Uh, I think certainly if, if, if that all happens, if if they do get a big draw and if it becomes a big attention-getter, absolutely. I think other schools will really take a good hard look at this as, uh, as a possibility for them to grow their own reputation as a, as a big, big-time school.
0: Yeah, the one I bet you who does it within two years, Jeff, I've heard they're looking at UBC, and I think it'll be a done deal. And quite frankly, they will be, if UBC can deliver, who knows, but they're going to be the preeminent hockey program in the NCAA uh, maybe by the end of this decade will be McGill. I bet you McGill goes, and they will be the team to beat with all the Quebec talent. That's what I bet you happens. I've heard McGill is watching.
3: Well, that would, that would be huge. I mean, you're obviously, uh, any, any of these schools and UBC is going to have the same thing. There's still the competition uh, with the, the WHL, and McGill would have the queue to deal with there as well in terms of getting recruits. But absolutely, I mean, if McGill went, you have a preeminent university in Quebec who could draw on a huge pool of talented players from, you know, not just in Quebec, but all throughout eastern Canada as well. Uh, and then players uh, out west, I'm sure, would be interested in going there as well. So I, I, that would be a huge move. And then uh, if this starts to happen, I mean, you've got to wonder, at which point does the CIS start to get a little worried?
0: Uh, they should be worried now.
3: They should be. <laughs> they they should. should be. But but you lose UBC, okay, that's a big loss. But but if others start seriously looking, I mean, that's that's very bad.
0: Um, Michael, flex your head coming up uh, in a moment, everybody. Uh, last question, Jeff. and I, Are you available for the next few weeks to talk about this ad nauseum and
3: – Oh, yes, we'll, we'll continue the speculation, sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Remember, Jeff, any rumor, just, any as, rumor long as, we, and okay. just as long as we, we, we say it as the rumor, because I'm getting nothing from anybody here, uh, it, it's all fair game. Uh, Jeff, uh, your thought, I think they're going, and I agree with them going.
3: I think they're going, and uh, I, I, I still am not uh, 100% in favor of it. I still have reservations, but it, it looks like they it seems they're going.
0: Okay. We'll leave it <laughs> but,
3: at that. But maybe we'll try and do a little digging and get some fact here. Yeah, I'm telling you, I got nothing. It's hard. I got nothing.
0: <laughs> how do you even go on it? You know. So, anyways, we'll get on it though. Because does this
3: does this become what this show is for the next two weeks? Is that fair to do? Like, well, I mean, like we we've been ta- how long? How many years have we been talking about this now? Forty seven.
0: Like, like, Forty seven. What? Forty seven. We started doing this. <laughs> When, um, what is it? The Milwaukee, the Atlanta Braves <laughs> moved to Milwaukee.
3: Well, neither of us were alive then. But
0: no, the Mil- I'm sorry, the at the Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee got a team. Milwaukee became the Braves. The Boston Braves moved to there Milwaukee. That's okay. what it was.
3: That's how long it's been in the yeah. works.
0: <laughs> Since okay. the
3: early 50s. So, well, it's, it's been a while. And yeah. uh, I don't know,
0: Honestly, six, seven years. Six,
3: yeah. seven years Considering yeah. it's coming to a head, I mean, it is a big story. So,
0: It's like a big pimple that's about to pop.
3: That's an interesting analogy. Well, you said it's sure. coming
0: to a head, so that's what I went All with. Right. I'm sorry, Jeff. It's all right. I should go now. All right. That's it, Jeffrey Sargent. Uh, Jeffrey, it's going to be fun. We've got to get on this thing. This is, this is what we've got to do for the next few weeks. And I appreciate it if you can help me out on this because sure I'm struggling to find anything. So We'll see what we can do. <laughs> we'll see. Thanks, Jeff. Talk to you soon. All right. Okay. That is it. Uh, big thanks to Randy Knorr, Howard Samore of the Vancouver Province, um, Sean Olson, head coach, UBC Time Rivers football team, and our very own Jeffrey Sargent. Mike with Fletcher head back after a week off. How are you doing, Mike?
3: I am good. You're good? Yeah. Cool. I hurt my tailbone.
0: Oh. Yeah. Good uh, painkillers, I hope. I didn't take them. You didn't? Oh, you're a tough guy. I am. Good for you. I don't believe in pills. <laughs> um, we played a podcast of yours last week.
3: Oh,
2: good.
0: Yeah, we had trouble because uh, the, whatever. It was a little hard, but we, we got it. Had to go fire through Firefox. Okay. Internet Explorer didn't work. That's the story. Okay, i got to get home. I've been battling a really bad head cold. Um, Okay, Mike with Flex Your Head coming up right now. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everybody.
1: Walking alone at night can be scary.
0: Stop right there, student. Why walk alone when you can call
3: SafeWalk? The
0: safety and comfort of everyone on campus is important. That's why we're here.
3: SafeWalk is a free, student-run foot patrol service with two-person co-ed
1: teams that will meet you and accompany you anywhere on campus to make sure you get there safely. Keep an eye out for our bright red reflective jackets and signature foot logo, and let your next walk be with us. What a huge relief! Now I'll never have to worry about the terrors that could happen when walking through such a big campus at night.
3: For a walk, you can call 604-822-5355. Use one of our direct line phones located in some of the campus libraries. Use one of the big blue phone booths, or even ask campus security to contact
0: us. If you see walkers around campus, and you'd like them to accompany you, stop and ask. It's our pledge drive here on NPR, and we have a 20-minute field recording of a tumluku, which is a Bosnian instrument which can only be played when you have a pierced scrotum and three kids who have been killed by a landmine. It's unlistenable radio! Can you understand
3: me? You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM.